This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The recent college admissions scandal showed us the extent to which parents and kids are obsessed with getting into high-profile schools, making the right connections, and landing an amazing job right out of the gate. Think of Mark Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs, or Bill Gates. Stories of prodigies who achieve incredible success and become billionaires before the age of 30 gets lots of attention in the media. Less attention is paid to those who succeed, or should say whose success comes a little later on in their lives. Our next guest focuses on these people and the characteristics that made them reach their goals at a more mature age. Forbes publisher and columnist Rich Carlgaard considers him one of those people, a late bloomer. He's the author of the new book, Late Bloomers, The Power of Patience in a World Obsessed with Early Achievement. And a pleasure to have Rich joining us right now. Rich, thank you for your time today. Thanks so much, Dan. Thank you. Great to have you with us. So how do you consider yourself a late bloomer? Well, despite having graduated from Stanford back in the day, of course, when it was a much easier institution to get into than now, I barely got through college. And at age 25, when my college roommates were doing amazing things, one was at Stanford Law School, one was getting his master's in chemical engineering at Penn, and another was getting his uh, doctor of divinity degree at a theological institution, Right, I was capable of handling a job no greater than security guard, temp typist, and dishwasher. And I remember a low moment when I was, I'm 25 years old and I'm a Stanford grad, mind you. I had a security guard job at a trucking yard and I was walking the perimeter with my flashlight and I heard a dog barking and I looked across the fence at the yard next door and I realized that their security guard was a Rottweiler. Oh, so it suddenly occurred to me that age 25, my professional colleague was a dog. And months later, Steve Jobs, whom you mentioned, would take Apple public. So there was quite a gulf between where I was and what some of these super achievers were doing. You know, it is interesting in the fact that you talk about early achievement. And, and obviously, a lot of people uh, talk about uh, the benefits for younger kids, uh, you know, ch- changes in education, uh, you know, adding financial literacy into their into their education piece, other elements as they're coming up. But you also talk about the fact that, that this this does apply an, an incredible amount of pressure at times on, on younger individuals who probably don't need to have that type of pressure. You know, I'm all for early achievers. I applaud them. I may admit to a little bit of jealousy about their early achievement. But people like Mark Zuckerberg and go out and do great things at an early age are really adding a lot to the United States. I just don't think it's the appropriate path for everybody. You think about over the last 20 years how important getting into an elite institution has become. And this college bribery scandal, in a way, is just the logical and perverse conclusion of this insane pressure. We've constructed this conveyor belt, and affluent parents can put their kids in preschool at age three or four and spend $40,000 a year. And the websites of these elite preschools make no bones about the the fact that you're doing this so 15 years later – your kid can get into an Ivy or Stanford or MIT or, or some institution like that. Well, that's fine. If your child happens to be one whom their gifts are revealed 
by this early, what I call the early achievement conveyor belt that puts emphasis on testing and getting 4.3 grade averages with advanced placement courses. That's a system that will reveal the strengths of some people, your rapid algorithmic giftedness, your ability to focus, your determination. Again, all great. Early achievers have that. But there are so many gifts that go undiscovered. So you think about some kid who might have the potential of being the greatest carpenter in his city, but all he knows is that he's stupid because he gets poor grades and he, and he tests poorly. Yeah. And I think that's, that's adding. When you step back and you look at some of the issues that students and teens and young adults are grappling with today, you look at the rising rates of anxiety, depression, and tragically, suicide. They're all going up. So the pathway of getting on to the early conveyor belt or the conveyor belt to early success clearly does not work for everybody, and it causes a lot of harm for many. And part of this is is also, I guess, a level of concern that parents have as to what is going to be the future for their kids. I know pretty much every parent worries about that. But in the wake of what we've gone through economically in this country over the last decade or so, there's even, I think, a higher level of concern for parents and their kids and their education and where they're going to end up in 10 or 15 years. There's no question about that, Dan. And if you look at the only sure bets over that period, they're in two fields. They are in Silicon Valley kinds of technology, and they're in Wall Street hedge funds and the high end of finance. Those are really lucrative fields. Those two fields, those screen for where you went to school, how well you did on your tests. Jeff Bezos at Amazon for a long while would ask, Applicants at Amazon, this is when Amazon was a smaller company. Right. What did you score on your math SAT? Sergey Brin and Larry Page at Google did the same thing. Now, you can see why, because that algorithmic giftedness is a real advantage for a software programmer. But you think about all the gifts that unfold, even beginning in your middle 20s, where we finally, most of us, achieve the full maturity of our prefrontal cortex, where we get executive functioning skills, and we begin to begin to become fully functioning adults. Things like curiosity, resilience, equanimity, or the ability to stay calm under pressure. These are attributes that employers all say they want, and they're valued, and you can see why, because these are the kind of employees that will grow. But the dissonance is between how companies screen for their first hires and then what's valued. Even Google, which is kind of a, a math SAT oligarchy, or at least was in the beginning, has discovered that where you went to school and what your what your SAT scores were is does not correlate all that strongly to how well you're going to perform at Google. And after three years, it more or less disappears. You mentioned it a second ago, but there is some interesting data out there right now uh, about the fact that, that there are aspects of our development that really don't kick into play until our 30s or 40s. And I'm wondering if, if that is part of the reason why we, we see this push in many cases to be late bloomers. Well, I wish we'd see more of a push to be more encouragement for late bloomers. By the way, this idea that we have unfolding gifts over the many decades of our lives is not my speculation. Right. There was a terrific 2015 study led by Laura Germain at Harvard 
and with a colleague at MIT, and they were both postdocs at Mass General Hospital in Boston. Right. And they asked the question, at what decade of our lives are our cognitive abilities at peak? And, and it's a really complex and intriguing answer. It depends what kind of cognitive intelligence you're talking about. There are many forms of cognitive intelligence. So sure enough, um, rapid synaptic processing speed, working memory, the things that make you a great software programmer or make you a very effective high-frequency trader on Wall Street, those peak in our 20s. But then in our 30s, 40s, and 50s, deeper pattern recognition, empathy and compassion, communication skills, all the things you need to be to grow and be effective as a leader come into play. And then in our 50s, 60s, and 70s, a whole set of attributes that lead to what we might call wisdom come into play. So this suggests when you're thinking about a career, there's actually an arc. You're a technical specialist when young, you move up into the management ranks, and then you become kind of the mentor and coach as you're older. So I think it's very encouraging, but we're not seeing the encouraging part in our rush to celebrate and emulate all of these early achievers. So then why do you think that then we don't see a a greater acceptance, a greater push to to really look for the late bloomers out there? I, I mean, we've talked on this show about instances where somebody may have a career in one area for, you know, 20, 25 years, and then at age 40, 45, 50, they want to make that shift and do something else, something that maybe resonates with them. Because they bring those people bring an incredible wealth of knowledge over that 20 to 25 years of professional work. We all know that. The problem is, why aren't we doing that? Because there are many paths of discovery for the late bloomer. The late bloomer, I was really amazed. I spent five years researching this book because I wanted every part of my book, Late Bloomers, to be defensible by, by science and research. I didn't want to make a bunch of my own speculations. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about, uh, thinking about these issues, and, and one of the things I discovered is that late bloomers tend to be the ones who find their own path that leads them to this magical place where late blooming occurs, and that's the intersection of deepest talents, native talents, and deepest passions, passions so deep you're willing to sacrifice for them which I would call a mission. And when you arrive at that destination, and I hope that everybody has that chance to get there, then no longer do you feel pushed by society's expectations. You feel pulled towards some greater destiny. And you can endure and you can get the kinds of gifts like grit and perseverance that you might not have when you're feeling like you're being pushed by parents or by society's expectations. How does the education system play into to both sides of uh, of this debate here uh, with the impact that it obviously has in a variety of different areas for younger achievers, but also what it may or may not be doing for the late bloomer? Well, I think if you look at best practices around the world, there are some worthy things that we could import into the United States, and there are some things that we desperately need to get rid of. I'll get to the part of the get rid of first. Yeah. And that is, and this is this is this is so tragic. I I almost tear up thinking about it. Ninety-five percent of the drug prescriptions for ADHD are given in the United States. Now, how are we biologically different than other people around the world? Right. It's a, it's an insanity. 
sure, there may be some small percentage of those kids that are medicated that need to be medicated. But is the default position simply because young kids aren't able to sit still? Well, Finland offers a great example. They don't start kids in school and begin teaching them reading, writing, and arithmetic until they're seven. So they let these very wonderful young plastic minds develop as plastic minds to their own curiosity before they sit them in a room and begin to teach them. I've become a huge believer after doing this book in gap years. That could be taking a gap year after high school and before college. It could be taking one between the sophomore and junior years. And gap years can cover a a variety of things. Uh, The Church of Latter-day Saints, uh, people go on a two-year Mormon mission, generally between their sophomore and junior years. I highly endorse that, and I'm not a member of that church. I've come to believe that countries that have mandatory military or civilian service, civilian service for those opposed to the military, have pretty good outcomes. And that's not primarily why they do it. They do it for national defense reasons. But if you look at Israel, Switzerland, and Singapore to take three countries with a level of affluence similar to the United States, the outcomes for their young men and women are better than ours. Lower rates of drug addiction, lower rates of alcoholism, more focus. They're they're building adults. Uh, I've come to believe that it was a tragic mistake to think that everybody should go to college. Everybody should have the opportunity to go to college. Not everybody should go to college, or at least right away. And so we've basically given up on the idea of a skilled trades track, or what we called in my day shop class. Only one out of 20 public high schools offers it today. And you think about all these wonderful skilled trades out there today that intersect with technology and pay really good salaries. I mean, good HVAC people, good welders, good people in a number of skilled trades can go out and with uh, a minimal investment in their education can be earning six figures in their early 20s. So then if if we are seeing this lack uh, of this type of, of, of position being filled, partly I think you have to lay it at the at the feet of, of the parents themselves, of what they are pushing their their kids to try and do. It's tough to be parents today. I don't want to point the finger at parents in any way because I think that okay. they're, they're, they're subject to so many pressures. Sure, I'll point the finger at the ones that are bribing, um, bribing officials at universities yeah. to let their kids get into a college they otherwise couldn't get into. Yeah, yeah. But think about, you know, you grow, up, you grow up in a high-performance city or you grow up in a suburb where everybody's educated and everybody wants their kids to be educated and have great careers. The dilemma for parents is are we putting too much discipline on them or not not enough? And my answer is you really have to get engaged with your kids because some kids will respond to more discipline. Other kids will rebel because they're sensing that they're being disciplined into areas of their weakness rather than their strengths. So I think it becomes, uh, you know, I, I think parents will have to step up. I think educators will have to step up. What I was hoping to do with this book, Late Bloomers, was to start a national conversation around the dysfunctions that we're creating among teens and young adults, but at the same time point out that all the emerging neuroscience and cognitive yeah. science points solidly to the fact that we have multiple decades in which to 
come into our own. We're joined by Rich Carlgaard, who's a publisher at Forbes and also the author of the book Late Bloomers, The Power of Patience in a World Obsessed with Early Achievement. Your comments at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. There are a couple of components that I wanted to touch on uh, that, that you talk about in the book that you consider to be important factors here. One, uh, being the the concept of quit. Yeah, in our culture, I think that we've overdone this idea that uh, quitters never win, winners never quit. You must apply your grit to all things at all times. Grit's a wonderful, uh, wonderful thing to have, uh, as Angela Duckworth pointed out. But grit misapplied will burn us out. And so, if you look at great entrepreneurs, you look at uh, you look at Richard Branson. Richard Branson's quit a lot of businesses. He quit Virgin Cola. He quit Virgin Brides. One of my favorite examples in Silicon Valley, where I live, it's an older story, but it's still a very valuable one, was the internal debate that occurred at Intel in the 1980s when their original product and their profit maker, memory chips, were suddenly getting, um, getting knocked down on their butts by Japanese memory chip manufacturers and Korean, uh, South Korean man- memory chip manufacturers. But they had this new, very, very promising product that had been around for a dozen years, but still wasn't a great revenue and profit contributor called the microprocessor. Right. So the internal debate was, do we quit the memory chip business? Bob Noyce, one of the founders, didn't want to quit. Andy Grove said, we have to quit. And then they had a discussion. If, if, a, if, if, if we were bought by another company or by outside investors, what would they tell us? And, and Gordon Moore said, um, well, they would fire us, and then they would get out of the memory chip business. So that's what they did. And, of course, Intel had a glorious late 80s, 90s, and still has a, is a great company today. So, yeah, you have to quit. You have to know when to strategically quit, of course. Yeah. And that's not the same as saying that your first response to any adversity is to quit. Of course not. Of course not. But I think we have to have a realistic view of uh, when quitting is appropriate. There's always an optimal time for your your own or your company's time, treasure, and talent. And if you're if you're not applying those wonderful things to your best opportunities, then you've got malinvestment, yeah. both for your company and for yourself. I have just about 45 seconds left. If you can touch on self-doubt uh, for a second, because it's another area that you talk about. Yeah, a pop culture tells you to throw your shoulders back, puff it up, fake it till you make it. I think you need to learn how to use self-doubt as a, as an advisor, you need to wall it off from your sense of self-worth, step back, look at it clinically. When the dark clouds of self-doubt come in, what is that self-doubt telling you? And then how do I deal with it rationally as you would as you would if you were coaching somebody you liked? Great having you with us today, Rich. It's, it's a fantastic book. All the best with it and look forward to uh, the, the next book that you bring out. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you. All the best. Rich Carlgaard, uh, the author of the book Late Bloomers, The Power of Patience in a World Obsessed with Early Achievement. Pleasure having him on the show. The book is available in bookstores and online for your purchase right now. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 